Go ahead and open up your Bibles to your favorite book, the book of Habakkuk. I'll give you a head start so you'll find it. It's close to the end of the New Testament. Just go over a few books. I don't know how many, I think five or close to it. And you'll land right on it. There was a little boy, his name was Tommy, and he wasn't doing too good in math. Um, his parents tried everything from tutors, mentors, they used flashcards, special types of, of learning centers, and in short, nothing worked. So finally, in a last-ditch effort, they took Tommy down and they enrolled him at a local Catholic school. And after the first day of class, Tommy came home with a very serious and determined look on his face, and he got right to work. He didn't even kiss his mother hello. Instead, he went straight to his room, and he began to study. Books and papers are spread out all over his room, and little Tommy was hard at work, and his mother was completely shocked and amazed. She called him down for dinner, and to her shock, the minute he was through uh, eating, he went straight back up and got back to work. And this went on for some time, too. Uh, and the mother was trying to understand uh, what made the difference. And finally, little Tommy uh, brought home his report card. He laid it on the table, uh, immediately went upstairs to start studying again. Uh, Mom went over to the report card. It was an A in math, and she could not uh, stand the curiosity anymore. So she went up to his room and she asked him and she said, uh, what made the difference? Was it the nuns? And uh, Tommy replied back, no, it wasn't the nuns. And she said, uh, was it the books, the discipline of the school? Uh, was it the uniforms? What made the difference? Nothing ever worked until now. And little Tommy looked at her and he said, well, on the first day of school, when I saw that guy nailed to the plus sign, I knew they weren't fooling around, and I better take this serious. Well, the thing I want us to look at with Tommy is his perception. His perception of things. Now, we laugh at that because it wasn't a plus sign, but it was his perception of the plus sign. And today, I want us to look at something that has a lot to do with this thing of perception. And I want us to look at this area in the guise of storms. And when I'm referring to storms, I am talking about those things that will come into your life, uh, those things that will happen uh, that we all will go through from, from time to time when life throws something at us and we don't know how we're going to deal with it. And I have, a, I have a few people, namely I've got one person primarily on my mind as we look at this today. And it's a big deal because when storms are really hitting you and your family, it's always going to be a very big deal. A very big deal. So the question the question then becomes, how do we get through what we're facing? Where is God at when the bottom is gone? 
And especially when he doesn't speak. And we feel totally abandoned. I want us to look at this thing, this subject that we call storms. Now here's a little bit of background, not much, but just enough for us to know what it is we're looking at. Habakkuk in the Old Testament has been called the Doubting Thomas of the Old Testament. And there's a reason for that. When you read the letter of Habakkuk, it's only three chapters long. It's a great book. Habakkuk is given a commission by God to give a prophecy about what is about to happen. But when, and he does that. But when you read Habakkuk, you see Habakkuk more struggling with why versus the thus saith the Lord aspect of things. You see Habakkuk, instead of just saying, here's what God has told me, here is what he wants you to know, so let's prepare for it. Instead of just leaving it there like you see in most all the other times throughout books of the Old Testament, you see Habakkuk and he's uh, with his mind, he's trying to rationalize why is God doing this? How is God going to do that? Why would he choose this group to accomplish this? And he's just, he's, he's doubting. He's more concerned with solving a problem than he is in delivering a prophecy. Now, the people, the prophecy was simple. God was going to overthrow the people of Judah. The people of Judah that day would be commonly known as the Israelites. There were tens, there were hundreds of thousands of them. We would call them a nation. And God was going to overthrow His people. And He was going to use the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans later became known as the Babylonians. And the thing that was causing Habakkuk the greatest uh, mind block in understanding was the Babylonians were a ruthless, evil people. And that was the instrument that God himself was choosing to use to bring about this huge uh, wake-up call, this huge calamity to a nation, his people, the people of Judah. And that was something, that was something Habakkuk could not stomach. Now, here's the thing, keep in mind, too, for background purpose. The people of Judah, they had heard for 20 years that they were going to be overthrown by Babylon. Jeremiah, in the Old Testament, most people have heard at least of the name Jeremiah. He is, called, he is known in the Bible as the weeping prophet. You know why? Everything he says, it's gloom and doom. Everything is gloom and doom. Because he, there was nothing good worth reporting on. The people of Judah had gone so far away from God that the message God gave Jeremiah was uh, the discipline that was coming their way. And it went on for 20 years. Nothing had happened. And then Habakkuk comes along. A minor prophet, not someone as well-known as Jeremiah. And what does Habakkuk say? He says the same thing. And the same proclamation, this prophecy that, Jer or, excuse me, that Habakkuk now gives falls on deaf ears of a hardened heart of people 
that were supposed to be God's people, and they paid no attention, uh, no never mind, no nothing to, to these warnings as well. And then we, uh, we know from history that it happened. Many were killed. They were all dispersed. They were completely taken in slavery. And every single thing about the identity of the nation of Judah was gone. Was gone. Why? Because they left the Lord. They ceased in following after God. They acted as if there were no God. They made their own rules. They wrote their own beliefs. And God was just a book that we put up on a shelf. And they literally had abandoned the Lord. So God brought in a storm. And in this situation, it was a storm of another nation and this thing that we call war. But today, I would kind of want to bring that down, not so much as a nation against a nation, as much as your war going on with you. Maybe something that you're going through. Maybe something that a member of your family is experiencing. You know, the biggest problem that Habakkuk had uh, was, was a twofold problem. His first real struggle that Habakkuk had was he was trying to understand why God was withholding his judgment as long as he was withholding it. I mean, up until now, it's just been rumors. It's just been hearsay. It's been a whole lot of talk, but nothing has happened. And as Habakkuk got up every single day and he put on his pants just like we do and got dressed and he went out to work just like we go out and we go out to work and he mingled with his people just like we mingle with people, he was stuck with the idea, how long is God going to wait? And as much as that was a struggle to Habakkuk, his second problem was, uh, was ginormous compared to his struggle of when is God going to do what he's going to do? And that is, why are you going to do it that way? His biggest struggle, God, why are you going to use the Babylonians? If you really want to know a modern day equivalent, it would be as if ISIS... Not China, not the communists in Russia, but ISIS. We know what ISIS thinks of Christians, and we definitely know what they do to them. It would be like ISIS taking over, not attacking, taking over America. Now, if you're going to tell me that you wouldn't have this struggle going on within you of God, now what is up with that? Then there's something wrong with you, because I would have it. That's exactly the, what the background is here in Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is trying to make sense. See, he believes what God says he's going to do. His problem is in trying to understand why. And is that not the biggest question that we all, at some point, we arrive at as we go through these things called storms is why? We are looking for answers. We're trying to make sense of something that does not make sense at all. And doesn't matter how many times we pray and we ask God for his help, he is silent and it gives the impression he doesn't care. He doesn't know what is going on with you. 
Is this something you need to just figure out? And when those moments come, as bad as they are, they get so much worse because of our perception. It's because of our perception. So I want us to hear a message on this because if you're not going through it, it's just a matter of time when you will and you need to have the right perception. The right perception will make all the difference. I want you to see that there are three points in the book of Habakkuk today that's worth noting. The first point is we need to remember that looking at the storm brings confusion. Looking at the storm brings confusion. In chapter 1, the first three verses, it says this, The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, look at what he says at the very beginning of verse 2, How long, how long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear me? I cry out to thee, violence, yet you do not save. Why dost thou make me see iniquity? That's sin. Why dost thou make me see sin and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence, they are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? All you got to do is turn on the TV and it's all right there. Every single, every single day. Even on the best of days, when things could not go better, storms will arise out of nowhere. And it's that accident. Um, it's that phone call. Um, it, it's that news that you get from the doctor who comes in to tell you the results of that test. They come out of nowhere. Storms never ask us for permission. They invade us. And when they hit, they hit hard. It may be a national calamity like we're seeing in the book of Habakkuk, or it may be something far more serious and personal to you. It involves you, or maybe it's a family uh, member. But when they hit, so does the confusion. Why? Because looking at the storm will always bring confusion. And it's a desperate time um, to find answers to it's when those moments arise confusion sets in and it goes from bad to worse and it gets there really really quick we turn to god and we ask why we want answers in fact we act as if we need answers we deserve answers and oftentimes the only thing you hear is silence that's it. And if you've ever been there, well, Habakkuk can identify because he's there right now. Right now. In chapter 1, we see the silence of God in the face of human suffering and the face of human despair and injustice and persecution. We see all of that. And this only added to Habakkuk's burden. Why do you think he began by saying in verse 2? I mean, at the very beginning. How long? God, what is up? Where are you at? How long is this going to go on? And it's interesting when you look at that question, how long? 
In Revelation chapter 6, there is a segment in that chapter where the Bible says that the martyrs in the days of the apocalypse, when literally all hell is breaking loose on this planet, is taking place, there is a group of individuals, and they're known as the martyrs, and these people have been murdered because of their faith. They refuse to follow the Antichrist. And because of that, they are killed for it. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 6, there is a verse that says they are the ones talking. And they say, how long, O Lord, faithful and true, until you avenge our blood? Isn't that interesting? You know what I believe? And I believe it very strongly. It's not just the martyrs of the apocalyptic times. It's martyrs of all time. People that have been murdered for their faith. People that are, they died. Yeah, they're in glory. And vengeance is not ours. The Bible makes that extremely clear. It's God. Vengeance is uh, mine, the Bible says, the Lord says. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And yet the, the, the martyrs here in this Revelation chapter, they are asking that same question. How long? How much longer? It's interesting. You know, the silence of God has given many an ungodly uh, person an excuse to blaspheme Christianity. Uh, believers who are weak in the faith, um, the silence of God is a strong temptation to just abandon the faith. You know, the number one argument that atheists will use is this thing called suffering. If God is such a good God, and if he loves us like he says he loves us, he loves us more than we love our own children, then explain this, 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 and this. That's the atheist's number one argument. And their number one argument fails. But that's a message for another day. But to those who are not grounded in the faith, it poses a stumbling block for them to just give up on Jesus. Because of God really loved you, then he wouldn't allow this to happen. And so therefore, there must be something else. The confusion of these storms are brought about for one of two reasons. Number one, there is a storm of correction. There is a storm of correction. We see here that God is going to use a pagan nation to conquer Judah. Why? Because the people... Uh, abandoned the Lord. They completely wrote him off and wrote him out of their life. So God was sending the only thing that would wake them. On that note, a question for you. Where are you at right now, spiritually speaking, mentally speaking, emotionally speaking, whatever, where are you at if God needs to get your attention? Do you have an open heart? Do you have a teachable heart? Do you have a willing heart? Or maybe you've gotten apathetic. Your heart's gotten a little cold. It's hard. Maybe you're sitting there right now and you're thinking, you know, it's been a really long time since I've heard from God. It's been a really long time since I even felt something. Maybe that's where you're at. But this first storm, it's a storm of correction. 
When you look at the minor prophet, it's a big guy in the scriptures, Jonah, uh, we see that it was a storm of correction for Jonah. At the very beginning of Jonah, the Bible says, and, Jonah, uh, and the Lord came to Jonah and said to Jonah, Go, go to Nineveh and speak to that obstinate people. That was God's people. They quit listening to God. We see in the life of Jonah that the call of God on Jonah was very personal. He sent Jonah. He sent Jonah. It was a direct line. It was very, uh, not just personal, it was pointed. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to deliver a message to the people of Nineveh. But because Jonah was completely full of this thing we call discrimination, and he wanted to see them die rather than have a chance to get their life right with God, which is exactly what happened when you read the book, he went the other way. Sometimes, sometimes the storms come because of a correction that is needed in our life. And then second, a lot of times the reason why we will experience storms is because of this thing called perfection, a storm of perfection. I want you to see this on the screen because it is really good. Max Lucado made a comment one time and he said this, God loves you just the way you are, but He refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. We are so quick to think that the only thing really needed in Christianity is to repent, have our sins forgiven, hey, we're going to go to heaven, and then we live our life down here, and we do whatever we want to do. That is not what the Bible says. We repent, we turn to Jesus alone for the forgiveness of sins, and we surrender our lives to Him. And the Bible says then we are to work out our salvation, which is not a means of saying we get to heaven based upon good works. The Bible damns that it is the thought of if you are a believer in christ then act like it start following up with what you're told to do lay aside the things you want to do your rights your things your stuff your time and live for jesus now be jesus with skin on for a world that's looking for answers and Lucado is making it clear in this statement right here. Sometimes the storms will happen to perfect you. To perfect you. He wants you to be like Jesus. You know, your situation in life right now, it's not fixed. It's, it's changeable. It's fixable. Where you are, this is not as good as it gets. Looking at the storm in your life can cause confusion at the time, but God is aware of it. He has not forgotten it. He has not forgotten you. Second, looking through the storm brings confidence. Looking through the storm brings confidence. Look in chapter 2 in the first three verses there. Habakkuk says this, I will stand on my guard, uh, on my guard post, 
and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. He's talking about God. And then he says, and how I may reply when I am reproved. In other words, here is Habakkuk, and he's saying, you know what? I am going to make myself available, and I'm going to see what God says. And in the meantime, I don't know what he's going to say, but I'm going to think of a response. Boy, don't we do that when there's really big moments, when we're having to deal with someone. Maybe it's restoring a relationship or whatever. And, or there's a problem of some kind, and we are wondering what so-and-so is going to say. And I'm going, you know, we're going to deal with this. But we are so quick to, well, I'm going to work on what I'm going to say. I don't know what they're going to say, but I sure know what I'm going to say. And we are so quick to do stuff like that. Why are we so surprised all the time in the Bible when we hear God telling us to listen? To be still long enough to listen. You know, the greatest part of communication is a person's ability to listen. It's not talk. It's not content. It's listening. And here he is. And then he says in verse 2, Then the Lord answered me and he said, Record the vision, Habakkuk, and inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet uh, for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal. That's God's way of saying, What I'm telling you is going to happen. It's going to happen. He says, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. See, when Goliaths come at you and when Goliaths come at me, uh, their role is to intimidate you. That's what Goliaths do. They stand over you because they're bigger than you, and they come at you, and their point is to own you. That Goliath's role is to make you fearful of that Goliath. And y'all, there are some storms that will happen in our lives that are very, very fearful. Very fearful. And just as we see these changes that are slowly taking place, when you move from chapter 1, you have Habakkuk saying, how long is it going to be? And why are you using those people to come in to, to take over this nation? Now we see him standing there and he's saying, you know, I'm going to wait on the Lord and I'm going to have an answer. I got a question for God. And then God immediately shows up. When we see these changes taking place in the life of Habakkuk, uh, in just these two chapters, here's the thing I want you to keep in mind. Looking at a storm in our life can be, uh, can be very bad. Looking at a storm in our life can cause nothing but confusion. As you begin to wrestle and work through the storm to figure out an answer, trying to make sense out of something that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, we begin to see that there is a a, uh, a beginning stretch of gaining confidence 
Why? Because now you're, lo you're looking through it. You're not looking at Goliath anymore. You're looking through him. And the way that you look through him, the way to gain that confidence is found in these four areas, the things that are needed. Number one, I said at the very beginning, I'm going to say it right here, it's about perception. It's about perception. We always see things from our perspective. We don't see things from God's perspective. We never. We don't. Why should we? We're dealing with what happens. But it's perception. A good example of that is Joseph in the Bible. We know the story. Sold into slavery by his family. By his brothers. That's why, Chad and Carrie, you need to have a sister to make sure nothing like that happens. But he sold into slavery by his brothers. And not only that, but then he spent time in prison. How, how much time? Anywhere from 20 to 25 years in prison on a false charge. He was let out. He was put in charge. He was given a job. Apparently, he was good-looking, so much so that the wife of the governor wanted to sleep with him. And he ran from her. And since hell hath no fury but a woman scorned, she said he tried to rape me. And then it went from bad to worse. All grounded on the fact he had done nothing in the first place but just breathe air. But did he give up on God? He never gave up on God. So much so that God eventually led him to be in second, second in line of ruling the entire world. Only one step below the Pharaoh. And when his brothers came to him and realized who he was, Joseph knew who they were, he told them, what you did to me, you meant for evil, but God meant it for good. Are you kidding me? But that, that was his perception. That was his perception. You know, y'all, perception means everything and when you take faith of what we know about god and who god is and what he wants to do in our lives and we mix that with the right perception that is when your faith takes legs and that's when it takes off it's perception second it's about patience it says in verse one of chapter two wait for it says the Lord. You know, Isaiah 40, 31, it's a verse most people know, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with the wings as eagles. They shall run, they shall not be weary. They will walk, they will not faint. Our society is not good at waiting, but God is, and for good reason too. Be patient. Three, it's a promise. Notice that it says here, the answer will come, it will not delay. You know what comes to my mind on that? Naaman. Remember Naaman? Naaman, find, he's covered in leprosy. He is the greatest general of a pagan nation. But he goes and he finds Elijah in Israel because he knows Elijah can heal him. 
He goes to the door. He knocks on the door. And instead of Elijah coming to the door, his servant is sent to the door by Elijah. Elijah's in the house, but Elijah doesn't go to the door. He sends his servant. And the servant tells him, yeah, I know why you're here. Now that was a few days before cell phones and TV. And here he is telling this general, the greatest warrior, I know why you're here. You want to be made well. Here's all you got to do. Go to the Jordan River and dip yourself seven times in the water. It's got to be seven. Not six, not five, and not another river that's clean, but in the Jordan River. And after you dip seven times, you'll be made well. And what did Naaman do? He left completely irate. His fingers are falling off. His nose is falling off. His toes are falling off. He is the walking dead. And all he's got to do is go dip himself in the Jordan River. No, I don't like that. It's not the way I want it done. And when you read that story, one of Naaman's servants told him as they were leaving, listen, if the man of God told you to do some great deed, would you not have done it? How much more than if all you got to do is dip yourself in water seven times? The Bible says Naaman went to the river and he complained the whole time. Are not the rivers of such and such and such and such better than the Jordan River? Another one of his complaints, did he not know who it was that was coming to the door and yet he sent a servant? Kind of detect a little bit of an attitude and a me first kind of guy. That was him. And after he dipped himself seven times, he came up, the Bible says his skin was like the skin of a newborn baby. He was completely healed. But here's the thing to remember, Naaman almost missed it. If it wasn't for a servant that ran after Naaman, he would have went back and slowly decayed while he was alive and died. But there's a promise. The promise is to do things God's way. And that's what I'm getting at on this point right here. You don't take matters in your own hands. You don't think, well, I'm going to do this. God hasn't done anything. You wait. And then fourth, we see that it involves participation. Our participation is to join God and what He is doing by following Him in faith. You know, James reminds us of this promise when James says, you do not have because you do not ask. As believers, we can ask. And as believers, we know because we have the faith. We have the promises recorded here that God listens and God hears our prayers. Sometimes the answer is immediate. Sometimes the answer is wait. Sometimes the answer is no. But we serve a God who is gracious and abounding in love, forgiveness, and kindness. Amen? Amen? Amen. So not only is looking at the storm causing oh, uh, will cause confusion in our life not only is looking through a storm uh, will it produce confidence but looking beyond the storm will bring calmness it'll bring peace
when we look beyond the storm. This same guy who first complained and doubted had a complete and total change of heart. Hope and encouragement in God regardless, regardless of the approach that God is using in our life at that time is the only thing that we need to hang on to because His promises are faithful and true. The hope and encouragement is what we need. We need to know and we need to hear God's got this. God has this. It's a real big deal to you. It's a really big deal to Him. God's got this. I want you to see in Habakkuk chapter 3, you're going to see it up on the screen. This thing that we call hope and encouragement when Habakkuk found it. It says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and He has made my feet like hinds' feet, and He makes me walk on high places. What a shift in Habakkuk's thinking. What made the difference? Having given everything over to the Lord, Habakkuk is now able to look beyond the storm. And it's worth remembering right here at this point. You can turn your problems into praises if you can find the way to look beyond the storms. You know, even in the worst of times, this can happen. Joni Erickson Tata, who was paralyzed from the neck down, unable to move from a diving accident, once stated at a Billy Graham crusade, she was, quote, thankful, thankful for the devastating, life-changing injury because of that injury... uh, that she received through that accident, she found the Lord. She said at another time that gladly she would sit in a chair unable to move knowing that one day she'll be running and walking in heaven with Jesus. Y'all, that's powerful. I mean, that, that's powerful. God's goal is not for so much for us to be happy as it is to be holy. And that's a command. And that's important to remember because we're always out looking for our happiness first. God wants you to be holy. I think He wants you to be both. But His first desire is to be holy. He wants us to be just like Jesus. So as we look at these three things today, these storms, I want us to remember how they apply to us when we look at the cross. Number one, looking at the cross brings confusion. 1 Corinthians 1.18, you'll see it up on the, on the screen. Paul told the church of Corinth, the preaching of the cross is to them who perish foolishness, 
But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It brings confusion. Confusion. People don't understand what the big deal is about Christianity. They don't understand the cross. Looking at the cross brings confusion. Second, looking through the cross brings confidence. 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul told Timothy, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able... Now, if that's not enough to make a Baptist shout, Hallelujah, then I'll give you another one. Romans 10, 11. And you'll like this one. This is a good one. It's real simple. Anyone who believes in Him will not be disappointed. I don't know why I love that so much. Because you talk about overkill. Think about what you're going to see one second after you die and you're in glory. Just think of that first second. Yeah, we're not going to be disappointed whatsoever. And that is what Paul is saying. Anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, you're not going to regret it. It's not going to be disappointing. Christians, we have a good reason to have hope because looking through the cross brings confidence And then last, looking beyond the cross brings calmness, brings the peace. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So today, if you are facing any kinds of storms, take those storms to the cross. Storms, no matter how big, no matter how painful, and how scary they are, they are just no match for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you right now, and Lord, we want to thank you for this day. God, we want to thank you that we've gotten enough of your word to know that this isn't as good as it gets, no matter what we're going through, no matter how bad, how scary, how dark it is. God, we know that we have the confidence that you're there. We have the confidence that you are aware of what is going on. And all you're asking from us, God, is to live day to day in faith and believing that you got this. Now, Lord, there's a lot of times things don't go and won't go the way that we want. But, Lord, as long as we can have that peace in knowing that you're in control, that you've not... Uh, relinquished your position to someone else and you just quit the job but that God you are there and you are willing you are able you are moving God that's all we care about that's all we want to know father I pray that today that you would help all of us here to remember that and I pray Lord today for those in this room who are going through a very difficult time in their life help them God to not look at the storm Help them, God, to look through it so that they can get beyond it. And that's where you are. And it's at that point, God, we can have the peace in our hearts of knowing even though things may not be what we want, it's okay. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.